All right. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It's been a while, folks, but I'm glad to bring back a guest who was actually one of the earliest guests on the podcast. Uh, For those who listened, it was May 10th, 2020. My good friend, Nick Widmer, we talked about advertising. We talked about crypto. We talked about all types of stuff. He's back. Nick, welcome back. Great to be back, Ben. I can't believe that was more than a year ago now. That was, man, that was when in, I first started this podcast, and in a, in a, yeah. in a, in a very in a very locked down, uh, very locked down world. Oh yeah, it was a completely different time. I mean, to give people a sense to kind of set the stage, at that time, Ethereum was two hundred ten bucks, <laughs> and Bitcoin was about nine and a half thousand. So if you had taken Nick's advice, who I think was a boa on both of them at that point, and you probably heard me dumbly push back on the podcast. But Ethereum was about 10x, or it's about 2,800 bucks today, and Bitcoin's about 41,000. So you, you could have just not listened to any of the stock talking episodes after that and just gone crypto, and you would have done better than listening to the, the dumb value stock picks I had well, afterwards. Well, to be fair, that was a very a, uh, volatile time in general for everything, and no one knew what the hell was going to happen. Um, but uh, it is crazy to see those numbers and think that it's only been like for sure know, a little over a year since. since since it's taken off like that. Yeah, I mean, while I was reading some of your articles preparing this, I was thinking about how the narrative around crypto right when COVID hit was that crypto can't hold its value in a volatile environment. I don't know if you remember that, but like Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. included, the knock on it was like, well, the market crashed and crypto also crashed. Clearly, it's not like a true hedge um, against the S&P or if you're going to invest in stocks. Um, Their narrative may still be alive, but like, I mean... If we're in a crypto bubble, like uh, I don't know when it's going to end because it, it shows no signs of slowing down. Yeah, it just keeps uh, it just keeps bubbling, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm here to talk to you because I, I think there's some yeah. real value, there's some real technology, and you know, th- this podcast and, and the blog has always kind of been like, where's the intrinsic value? Where are the things uh, that are worth owning for the long term? I mean, I love the Buffett quote: uh, "Price is what you pay, value is what you get." And I think you've done a really good job in some of the articles you've written recently about saying like, this is where the value actually is thinking about kind of the NFTs uh, and crypto space. But I guess before we get to all that, like, you know, last time we talked to you, you, you kind of were, um, you were in advertising and now you kind of moved a bit over to crypto. Like, I'd love if you could give us an update kind of what's going on with you. Sure. Yeah. So I've worked in, um, I've worked at ad agencies for the, the bulk of my career, um, mostly in Boston and New York City. Um, a lot of the, uh, I've been lucky to work at a lot of like the kind of the bigger name spots. I, I've worked in McCann and Havas. Um, so I've got to work with some national clients like like Progressive Insurance and MGM Resorts and, and Jeep. Um, so I've really been immersed with that world, um, mostly on like the client services and brand strategy side of things. Um, so I feel like I have this interesting kind of inner perspective of like, just like how the wheel turns and how me- the trends of media buys and where the money has moved from you know, organic social, do paid social, do programmatic, um, from 30 seconds ad, ads, do 15 second ads, do six second ads. Um, it's, it's an extremely fast moving industry. And I've kind of like had an insider look at it from the, the brand side. Um, that when the pandemic hit, just like a lot of people, I, I kind of like re questioned, like what I was doing with my life. I wasn't totally satisfied, um, at my advertising jobs. Um, so really over, I, I moved from my New York City apartment um, where you found me last time. Um, actually, I think I had just moved home to my parents' place at that point, but I, I moved out of New York to my parents' home in Long Island, which I still am uh, here a year and a half later. 
um, <laughs> pretty unbelievably, <laughs> unbelievable to say that, but, uh, but I figure now, like, you know, being, um, in this remote world we live in, like, I, I figure now is a time to like, kind of take a chance and, and do my own thing. Um, I, I'm a writer. I've always loved to write. And I, I, uh, you know, because I left my last job, I figured I'd take that a little bit more seriously. And, um, I really got sucked down the rabbit hole of this, uh, this NFT space and the emerging like trends with web three and where things are moving. I, um, I always had an interest in Bitcoin. That's kind of where I like entered the conversation. Um, and for a few years, like really kind of brought myself up to speed on that. But over the past two months, um, I've made a quick right turn into Ethereum and all the possibilities that, uh, it's starting to stir up. So, so that's where you find me. And that's where I think my last article is a good, um, you know, testament of like my thinking on that over the last few months. Yeah, it's a great read. I mean, for anyone who's listening now, uh, look up Nick Widmer and check out your Medium uh, profile. I guess you do. You, are you on Substack now, or where's the? It's actually I, I migrated. I, I migrated everything over to on Substack. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, so you're on Substack. I mean, you got a, a couple really good reads on crypto. Kind of the one I wanted to focus on to open this conversation was on NFTs. It's interesting you talk about your ad background and some of the brands you worked with. You know. I, having followed some of these public companies and, and seen kind of where they're going as it relates to crypto, like a lot of uh, strategy is kind of based around like what value can we accrue uh, from kind of attaching brands uh, to NFTs and, and selling them. And certainly there are probably other ways you can kind of leverage crypto um, to add shareholder value. But it, it seems like if you're a company in 2021, you at least have to be thinking about NFTs. Does that sound accurate to you? I think you have to be thinking about NFTs the same way companies in 1997 were thinking about the web. And I don't say that with any hyperbole at all. Like, I, I think, I think um, what's, what's going to happen in the next two to three years is going to be just as significant as um, the web boom in the late 90s. And I think in my research, you know, it started for me, one of the reasons I wrote the article was, I just didn't, I was like, all right, clearly something's going on with NFTs and really, okay, the big headline, the catchy headline that everyone likes to uh, react to is like, oh, JPEGs are selling for millions of dollars. Like that's, that's stupid, right? And uh, obviously there's something else going on with this. So I kind of pulled on that thread. Um, I, I went down, if there's some, there's some great bookmark tweets I could, I could, uh, or Twitter threads I can share with anyone who would, who would like them that really contextualize what's happening here. Um, and the more I learned and read and listened to podcasts, the more I kind of realized like the, you know, that the NFT component and these, these, um, the art component is only the tip of a much bigger iceberg and trend in not only media, but technology that's going to change I think how we do almost everything online within the next two to five years. Definitely. And yeah, I want to get all into the iceberg, under the iceberg, <laughs> everything in between. Uh, but I, I think a, a logical place to start is what is an NFT? I mean, you always have, have when we talk about stuff, like explain it to me like I'm five and that helps put yeah. me back to earth on some of the stuff I like to talk about. Sure. I know jack shit about NFTs. I want to hear you explain to me like I'm five. What is an NFT? Yeah, yeah you got it. Um, one of the problems with this world right now is like it's it's oversimplification is uh, is in high demand. And one of the, I, I called my essay, I, I subtitled it. 
um, a layman's guide because I just didn't think there was, a, there's just not a lot of good material for like someone who has no idea what's going on to understand what's actually going on. So I, I, I tried to, um, I tried to get that across in my, in my article, but an NFT stands for a non-fungible token. And the way you can think of a non-fungible token is it's an original. All right. So the analogy I draw in my in my essay is that um, a lot of wealthy art buyers will like who own Monet's or Picasso's or Van Gogh's. Um, they'll actually they actually won't keep the originals up in their apartments because just keeping a, a 50 or you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar painting up in your uh <laughs> you know, your penthouse hallway is like a recipe for disaster. I mean, so much could go wrong, whether it's like a fire or someone bumps into it. So what a lot of people will do is they'll pay for a very good duplicate, put that up and then keep their original in an offshore or Swiss bank account, like very protected, fireproof, um, because that's that's where the value is. Um, that's where the value is in the original. Now, it's a similar thing with digital assets. I think this is like the leap people have to make mentally is that what a non-fungible token is, is through metadata meta um, of the asset you're getting digitally, you have proof of ownership of the original and anyone on the blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain, which I think we'll just stick to the Ethereum blockchain for this because there will probably be more that pop up, but Ethereum is the front runner. Um, they can see that. So it's public. So anyone the people that are that you know the um the peanut gallery that that's saying things like oh well can't you just make a copy and use it it's like sure you can but the people that value it within this community like they they know what's authentic just like a baseball card collector would be able to spot um you know an original uh what's the what's the famous baseball card homer homer oh, the, the honus wagner yeah honus yeah. wagner yeah like they'll know, they'll know because it'll have a certain quality of it. Um, and now that quality is uh, imprinted digitally and sealed forever on this blockchain. So it 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 creates, it, it's, it's a digital original. That's the way to think of an NFT, a digital original. Yeah, but I guess the, the originality proof concept has always been a little elusive to me. Like I have kind of the most elementary understanding of how the proof of authenticity works. And you mentioned the Ethereum blockchain, you know, your article makes the good point that it could be on any crypto blockchain. You have some good links into terms of how this all works. But for yep. the, the average fair weather crypto fan, I guess like what's the brief kind of summary of how uh, with an NFT you can establish that it is one of a kind? Um, because when an NFT is uh, released, it's it's called it's called um, a mint. Okay, so like a lot of a lot of people on the inside will go to an artist they like or a community they like because they know there's a certain amount of NFTs being minted. So one thing that's interesting, um, and first of all, I should preface this by by saying I think it's like common knowledge within the community that ninety five percent of NFT projects right now will probably go to zero. It's the 5% that are gonna catch on culturally, that are really gonna set the standard and precedent for the next phase of, um, of, of, of the way, the next phase of NFTs that will like gain traction culturally and provide value. Um, but let's like take an example like, uh, okay, let's talk about, let's like CryptoPunks, right? You're seeing CryptoPunks a lot, like Alexis Ohani and has one. Um, yeah, very uh, popular Twitter avatar. It's a very cool yeah. Twitter avatar. It's And it's basically like, 
I, I guess like think of a crypto punk and think you can think of NFTs as an extension of the verified blue stamp on Twitter or Instagram, right? Like it's a way to verify yourself without a platform doing it for you. Um, and that's, that's, that's part of like, you know, I'm reading this amazing book right now called Wanting uh, by this guy named, uh, I think it's Luke Burgess. And it's all about um, this, this theory of a uh, mimetic desire. And what mimetic desire is, is this like kind of really, it's like a law of human nature that you just want things purely because other people want them. And that's it. And it's been it's been historically proven through all you know. It's like I talk about in my articles, like the same reason Beanie Babies and Pokemon cards and rare wine and abstract art, because um, all of a sudden someone who you aspire to be like has one of these, and that makes them cool, and then it trickles down. So there's some bigger forces at play here. But you go back to your question, like so, crypto punks, right? I think one thing people miss here, part of like what's cool about this, is. A lot of these projects, they're 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 designated um, like CryptoPunks and Bored Apes are PFP NFTs, okay, profile pictures, which means they're NFTs like you can use as your profile pictures, which is part of the appeal for why they're exciting, okay, because you can you can flash them around. It's like it's like flashing a nice watch, or you have a rare pair of sneakers, um, but it's doing that digitally to an infinite number of people, not just people within your social circle. Um, which is also like kind of an interesting component of like the way value is about to evolve, I think. And st- not, not, not value, but I think the way status signaling is about to evolve. Because all of a sudden, like you think, and I'll get back to your question about w- verification, but when you, if you have nice designer furniture at your house, right? Are you, um, you, you, you want your dinner guests to come over and like, yeah, it's nice for them to see it. Like they see the nice like Hermes uh, chair. I don't, even, I don't even know if Hermes makes a chair, but like you get the point, but that's only, you can only show off that value to the people that are coming over to your house, people that are in your network, people you went to school with. But what if you can show off that, um, you know, designer uh, couch to millions of people on Twitter somehow or online? I mean, I think it's beyond Twitter, I think is where it's going to go. Um, so that's where a lot of, I think these value plays and the trends of um, the trends of why people are paying so much for this stuff. That's, 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 that's the why um, the, what the cool part is like a project like CryptoPunks. those, there was 10,000. So like, like a lot of other um, NFT projects are doing this where like there'll be, li- there'll be limits. So it'll be like a series of a thousand or a series of a hundred or a series of 10. And in that series of a thousand, I think in CryptoPunks it's and board apes, I think it's 10,000. So it's limited, 10,000, clear lock. That's all there's ever going to be. And those are computer generated. So there's like an aesthetic and a style, and then it puts it into um, an algorithm and spits out 10,000 of these variated characters, and each one um, can be owned. And because it was spit out in an algorithm, certain qualities are rarer than others, just like holographic Pokemon cards. So like one of the board apes will have like you know gold skin and be shooting like rainbows out of his eyes and like wow that's cool because that's the there's only five that have rainbows shooting out of their eyes so all of a sudden that becomes like a a more expensive uh like a more a more a more a rarer a rarer one and hence it's more valuable yep all of that makes sense to me and 
you know, I'm, I'm definitely a big baseball fan. I'm aware of, you know, kind of the card values and I'm like a very amateur collector. And then also like, you know, you think about stuff like fine wines or art, like I followed that market loosely and it, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me why NFT is a true value. I'm not questioning that. Um, yeah. I think though your article makes some broader points about like, why is this more than just the collector's market? Why should we care? Yeah. So I guess I'll pose <clears throat> you that question. Directly. Yeah, sure. Like, why is this, why is this more than just a like finite resource uh, asset that's valuable? Cause there's only like 10,000 of them. Sure. Sure. Um, I think, let me, let me try to distill this the best way I can. Um, it go, I think it all comes back to decentralization where something like, we'll, we'll go back to board apes because that seems to be the one that's like really like leading the charge in terms of like the, uh, the potential of, of what's in this um, <clears throat> because uh, these projects are decentralized. It means that anyone who owns a board ape can do whatever they want with it to increase the value of the brand. So now you have 10,000. I think there's actually a lot less than 10,000 because I think people own multiples, but you have thousands of people who independently through their own skill set and interests are advancing this brand now. So like I saw something where there's a winemaker who owns a board ape and now he's making board ape wine. And guess what? If you own a board ape, you get that wine for 50% off. Okay. So it's like this decentralized brand, this like grassroots brand that can now grow with no restrictions or no ownership aside from do whatever you can to add value because adding value to this brand raises the um, raises the net value for all of us, raises the brand equity. And what that does, it's so interesting, is instead of brands, like I think it comes back to these ad-driven models, which is like a whole a whole nother conversation where on like, you know, Facebook, they're dishing out our behavioral data to these brands. Like, so they know exactly when, uh, when Ben, like when your girlfriend, because of her behavior on Facebook, they know exactly when she's going to want to click on an ad for an air freshener. Okay. I'm just thinking of air fresheners because I used to work for Airwick, but, and that's kind of fucked up, man. Like they shouldn't, they shouldn't know, they shouldn't know that. Right. Like, so this flip that happens with, with branding now brands do get noticed. They have to, they have to catch the owner's attention. So a brand like um, like maybe a wine brand is thinking, oh, you know what? Like this Bored Ape thing's pretty cool. There's some cool people in there. We're going to come and say, hey, Bored Apes, like you guys get 50% off our wine. So now like the, 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 the rabbit's got the gun in terms of advertising um, and attention monitoring. And I think that's like a bigger shift of like, that should be what it is. It shouldn't be like, we're just like, you know, being monitored like rats in a maze and given blocks of cubes of cheese based on like when we when we like getting, you know, when we click on someone's birthday pictures, that that's when they're going to serve us an ad that plays at our insecurity of, uh, you know, QAnon taking over the church or whatever it is. Like, it's like all, it's all designed to like inspire fear. And I think the second that models flip and it's like, no, this is a closed community. So you can try to add value your way, but like, you got to think of something good or else we're not going to be down with it. So now it puts brands on their toes to be like, okay, if we're going to really like make an impression, 
we have to add meaningful value to this community. Yeah, that that also makes sense to me. I mean, I do think though, it's not like they have to exist uh, independent of each other. Like I think there's a world where your branding strategy entails ads and and we, this can open up a discussion about web 2.0 and web 3.0, right? Like yeah, the way I see it based start. on you know, some of the stuff you sent me with Chris Dixon is web 3.0 kind of encompasses this whole mm-hmm. NFT ecosystem. Uh, it's all permissionless. There's no kind of like domain. Maybe there is a domain system, but it's not owned by like a central authority. Um, Web 2.0 is what you talked about with mm-hmm. uh, third party and first party data. Um, you know, large corporations behind the domains that kind of control the uh, your data and the code that kind of uh, integrates and works with that data. It, it seems though, like, you know, let's talk about a wine company. Like if I'm, you know, a... a wine company X or whatever, like why wouldn't I do NFTs and traditional branding? Cause it, no one's saying that like traditional brand building on the internet with advertising doesn't work. Like SEO is still hugely important. Um, that's another one that pops up in like most earnings calls I listen to. Um, so who's to say like that's going away? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going away. And I think um, it's absolutely, it absolutely works. I think, I think one of the problems that we've found ourselves in and we've, become accustomed to is that it works extremely well. I mean, I, I've, in, in the 10 years I worked at ad agencies, the, the buys do Facebook and uh, Instagram were disproportional to like media outlets, you know? Um, and a lot of these big uh, media conglomerates, a lot of these platforms, they're just doing in-house agencies now. So they're, they're, they're just, they're just like soaking it all up and telling telling their clients exactly what they need to hear and like exactly what returns and oh by the way if you show they, they a b test ads hundreds of times you make sure oh if you serve this ad in the um the image copy of the ad is in the upper left hand corner and you show the brand logo in the first two seconds of the six second ad it has an 80 percent chance of getting clicked on versus one that doesn't do that so it's just like becoming this like data suction um that we can't really get away from. I mean, it, it goes back to, I think people don't appreciate just how much time uh, these platforms have taken from us. And, you know, that was like a big thing of like the, the um, what was a big documentary last year called uh, on Netflix. Um, it got a lot of, it got a lot of good, uh, good feedback. Um, maybe the social dilemma, I think. Um, so it's about, it's That's kind right, of about yeah. break. It's, it's kind of about breaking this model and uh you know, trying to just do better as like an online, um, as a, as like a species online, because, um, we're, we're, I think we're outgrowing it. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So not, not replace, but kind of offer a, a yeah, better alternative. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. And it'll take a while, but I think, I think brands, if one thing I know from my career in advertising and brand strategy is that brands want to follow what's cool. They want to move with the cool culture and they want to stay as close as they can do it as possible. Cause the second a brand doesn't appear cool, they're, they're toast. Um, and they will, this is going to start becoming cool. It already is because guess what? The reason why it's cool is because it's still a small community and it's, it's uh, a lot of, it's, it's kind of unknown and it's kind of cryptic. Um, so brands are going to be frothing at their mouths to figure out a way to get involved. Yeah, let's talk about the getting involved and kind of this kind of unknown cryptic ecosystem, Um, because I do think, you know, a key part of branding is engagement. And it's like, it's easy to click on an ad. It's easy to be on Google, see the ads pop up and 
mm-hmm. and do what you will with it. Uh, that ecosystem is fully built out. There's, you know, how many, God knows how many companies that play in it. Um, yeah. The NFT space, like, you know, just like every <clears throat> enterprising person who saw the values go up, I, I also looked into how to buy NFTs, like got MetaMask and all the other stuff, looked yeah. on OpenSea. Yep. And I will say, like, I, I consider myself a technology person. Like, that's what I do yeah. for a living. You know, I right. write code for a living. I've honestly yeah. found it a little inaccessible. And I'll tell you, yeah. like, and obviously this is the first iteration, but yeah. like, I, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on how it is today and how it can improve. Like my initial impressions were, you know, it's like, I have to download something on my phone. Mm-hmm. I have to like do this weird combination of like phone and desktop <laughs> yeah. stuff. And also yeah. like when I try to buy something, I'm hit with like all these insane fees that weren't originally part of. I mean, I think those are mining fees or I'm not sure gas, what the proper terminology yeah, is, but fees. yeah, uh, let, let's, let's hear your thoughts on that. Cause it felt inaccessible yeah, sure. to the newcomer. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the problems crypto in this nascent stage, it's been in, um, it is very inaccessible. The interface is whack. You got to write down, you know, um, <laughs> you know, 24 word, uh, <laughs> passcodes just to be able to like get in. And then you're supposed to like keep those separate from your public keys and you're not supposed to keep it online. And, you know, is Coinbase okay to keep your crypto on? So like, yes, do all of that. But I also would add that I think that's part of what makes it like from a speculative, speculative point of view, like, so intriguing because these interfaces like as you know as a um someone who works in developing band like they're going to improve and i think something like metamask and OpenSea, like they're they're going to become more user-friendly um i'm not sure if you know anything about solana but solana is like a layer app on ethereum i might even i might even have not used the right terminology there i'd probably get toasted by the nft community but uh they, they they speed up the transaction so they can do like i think like 5000 transactions in 30 seconds where ethereum can maybe do like 500 and that, that, that's that's probably incorrect but my point is that third party developers um are getting involved and seed money is starting to flow into these companies yeah i don't i, I think i will buy your arguments that uh the technology will improve. Like, I mean, I think a lot of people I know are going into this space and, you know, they're great developers. They're learning solidity. They're learning like a whole crypto mm. ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so I don't doubt like that part could get better, but let's, let's say for the sake of argument, like all that is amazing. And, you know, yeah. buying and selling NFTs become seamless. I'm not convinced that like that many people will play in it. Cause it still seems kind of like the baseball card collection, like gotta be an enthusiast, gotta have a sense of the market. Like what makes you think it could be something more than that? Because I think there will be at some point, I think in the next, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say two to three years. Um, I don't know how accurate that is, but I think there will be a social network, decentralized social network that will be cool. that will be in vogue to join. And, you know, just like, just like most cool things happen, you know, it'll start by like influencers shifting over to these spaces and there'll be value there that will be um that will just start trending and be in vogue and it'll be cool to go decentralized you know like it'll be it'll be it'll be seen as like i think a lot of this stuff i I know it might be ridiculous to say this but i think it boils down to like uh human rights and and freedom and freedom of privacy um and i think as that catches on and as that's packaged in a more accessible way for people they'll because i think one of the tough things right now and one of the things i'm trying to do as a writer is like 
help break this down for people that have no idea what the hell is going on because it's, sure, yeah. it's it is it's complicated language technology super complicated i mean i've watched hundreds of how does a blockchain work videos and it really just clicked for me like two or three months ago like oh my god this is this is this is why this technology i guess i guess my point to answer your question is like i think i believe that it's like superior technology so just like anything in history superior technology wins out yeah, absolutely. But I was I was gonna say, like, again, no matter how good the technology, I think the mechanism today largely appears to be bidding on stuff, right? Like someone puts it up for mm-hmm. sale, you bid. I mean, it kind of reminds me when I like one of my first introductions. Well, actually, no, 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 no. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um I think you you're you, so an open sea, yes. But one of the things that's interesting is the, the deeper you go down these rabbit holes, um you get like, I got invited to a discord uh, of this artist I really like. His name's Jack Butcher. His work's phenomenal. Um, <clears throat> and they say that like, if you want to know what NFT to buy, like just go to, go to an, find an artist you like, find something that like you're viscerally attracted to. And then once you get in on that community, you'll get added to the discord. So I was added to do this discord. And then on this discord, which is like everyone who supports this community, um, you have inside information on when the mints are going to, the mints are going to happen. So you can go basically buy them for shelf value, right? Like you can buy them for like their trading price. And then, yeah, people take those and go to, go to open and try to sell them. And that's where kind of the bidding wars happen. But like, if you, if you spend time going deep and getting immersed in the cultures of these projects, like you'll know, you'll know when the drops are. Yeah. I mean, let, let me push back just a little on that. Cause even what you're describing, I mean, that is getting closer to where I think it could work, where enthusiasts buy, and then there's some mainstream adoption, and there are, there are sellers mm-hmm. down the line. But that still kind of sounds like, yeah, there's an IPO. Like if you're uh, buddy buddy with the the issuing bank whose lead left, like you get kind of the first the the mint is the equivalent of like the first trade or kind of yeah, purchasing at, sure. at the IPO price. The kind of where where I am interested the, and think it could work is like good. But the difference the difference though is it depends. It's on the community to push the value. It's not on, no it's, not, yeah. it's not on like, it's not on the C-suite do like to PR, sell it on a road show. PR the hell out of it yeah. and raise the stock and pump the price. It's on like this community of like, let's say 5,000 people or 500 people to be like, Hey, we think this is really cool for X, Y, and Z. So we're all individually going to go out in the world and pump this and then it becomes word of mouth, which is the most powerful form of uh, marketing there is. Yeah, but I guess I'm still saying there's like there's still a mint and there's still like a price setting exercise, whether that's through like evangelism or community. You know, that, that's yeah. a thing. I, I think one thing I wanted to ask yeah. you about was like, it also seems like there's separately an economy of people getting NFTs for free or earning them, which feels a lot more viable to me because when you get something for free, uh, and like are content to own it, then like they just start to circulate, right? Yeah. Um, and at that point, like I think you can have something that's a little bit more liquid and something people like don't mind trading. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of the the earned NFT space? Well, I think what's gonna like there's this interesting uh, project. This artist Damian Hurst, who uh, he's he's like he's a big artist uh, based out of London, and he he did like some crazy provocative shit with like 
shark dead shark carcasses in like formaldehyde a few years ago or and that sold for like 50 million dollars like ridiculous abstract art but his stuff's pretty it's it's pretty interesting and he's doing this project where he i think it's a thousand original damien hurst pieces and if you buy one of these you get an you get an nft okay but in a year you have to decide whether or not you want to keep the nft or the physical piece and if you don't keep the physical piece, it'll get burned. So it's just like this interesting project of like, what's more valuable. And I think it, it's like a, it's like a larger bridge to, I think like in the future, if you buy a watch, like I'm, I'm, I have an Omega watch, which I, it's a prized possession of mine. And I, I feel like when you buy one of these in the, in the next few years, you're going to get an NFT version of it or some, some sort of like authentic, right. authentication, Nike, like I, I, I bet if we talk in two years, I'd be shocked if Nike wasn't issuing issuing NFTs of every pair of sneaker they sold. Yeah, because it's co- if you have the technology, it's costless to them, and it seems like it's, an, it's yeah. commoditized, right? On the and you know, side. there's amazing. And you go back to your point about branding. There's amazing branding opportunities in that where it's like, oh, hey, um, <laughs> who, out of the thousand, we're going to drop ten thousand of these shoes. Well, there's five golden NFT tickets that you might get if you get one of those tickets. Uh, you get season tickets to the Knicks and Nike shoes for life. You know, like there's, there's so many ways brands can do cool, cool activations with this, um, that it's very exciting. I think, I think that's like, like my advertising and branding and marketing, um, head just when I started learning about this stuff, I was like, this is, this is as big as going from newspaper, uh, and radio and TV to the internet in terms of, in terms of, uh, branding possibilities right i mean if brands start giving to it to me for sure i'll use them right because at that point it's like if someone's going to give something to you it's almost not burger king i just saw i just saw i just i i I tweeted it uh i tweeted it last week that burger king um is like making a big nft play (laughs) yeah gary vaynerchuk's all under it you know i've been following his stuff um he's like kind of he's 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 all doubled down on it um but yeah, like they're doing yeah. QR, uh, Burger King QR codes on six million meal boxes to unlock digital collectibles. So like, and, there yeah, you go. It's like your automatic engagement. I mean, it's a tenuous analogy, but I was going to say like, I've been doing some research on sleep number as uh, yeah, it, they have a, a pretty big stock repurchase program. I, I like the C-level suite company, but like one of the things that surprised me about uh, sleep number is like they have huge engagement with their app. And the reason is like, if you play games on the app or engage with the app, you can get discounts on sleep number items. And a lot of like sleep number customers, either like through the referral program or wanting to buy like ancillary items, like uh, pillows, like they will get those 20% off items by spending like a shit ton of time on the app. Um, yeah. So the app is surprisingly successful, but it feels the same way with um, some of these NFT efforts by different companies, right? It's like, if you are going to give me this thing uh, for no other reason than I bought a physical item, like I'll engage with it. Well, I think, I think you're definitely, you're onto something. I think, uh, again, mimetic desire, once a few cool brands start getting involved, I, I bet you, you know, I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm not currently working at an ad agency, but I bet you there is at least one person at every big ad agency in New York right now who is in charge of researching the shit out of NFTs and presenting right. a point of view on like, how the hell do we get involved in this? Um, yeah, totally makes like, sense. Like, yeah. You know? Because they, they, they should. And I think, I think brands kind of like lead the charge and it's the ones that, and that's why I think Gary Vaynerchuk is actually, um, 
making some really smart decisions by like being so knowledge being so knowledgeable about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like where I was going originally with that question with like earned NFTs, uh, was kind of like you know, uh, pay video games to earn NFTs mm-hmm. or do tasks to get them. But also like you certainly could earn by purchasing a physical item or showing brand loyalty and getting an NFT in return. But I do want to shift the conversation a bit to that original point. Like, you know, there's been a lot, like Axie Infinity, I think is the one that kind of has got the most attention. And like Packy McCormick wrote an article about this. Um, To me, that's like a really nice example of, okay, you perform a service, which is playing a video game someone else made and you accrue kind of, I don't want to know if you want to call them like NFTs because they kind of are, I guess, I suppose like the digital items in the game are exactly that. but it feels like what Axie Infinity did essentially was create uh, a market for NFTs by awarding people who are early players of the game. I don't know if you have a different take on that, but like I thought that was a pretty smart way um, to improve the value just by allowing people to earn through playing. So you know what, Ben? I actually don't know if I read that Axie Infinity article. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. You may have heard of similar things, but like... To- it's a very long read. I recommend everyone on the podcast check this out and also watch the video because somebody. I don't know it. how Packy McCormick, yeah. that guy's writing is he unbelievable. He he pumps out like he pumps out he pumps out like you know five thousand word reads like once a week. I I, I don't right. know how he does it, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll check it out. Um, I'm so I'm sorry I don't have more no no the, the quick TLDR on this is like this video game which has been around for several years. There's almost an entrance fee to start playing. Um, and I think it's paid in Ethereum. But basically, like the cost to play the game has increased over time. Um, but those who are early on, like, are able to accrue NFTs playing it. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but no, no, it's it's, the, it's like to the, make, the, yeah, the concept I'm trying to get at exactly is like there are people out there who are offering NFTs to perform a service, and like kind of the more noble version of it I've heard is like solving math problems or uh, teaching classes or performing some like value add service and getting NFTs in cool. exchange. So. I am convinced you could add a lot more on the supply side by just awarding people for performing tasks. I don't know what will happen on the demand side. And as you said, like 95% of them are probably going to go yeah. to zero, but it, it kind of makes sense to me if there's a large supply, it is going to gain traction just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think people shifting on this or people's thinking needs to shift on this in like a broader sense, like with communities, because it sounds, I know like tokenizing the internet uh, people, that sounds like a, a giant video game, but I think there's some like, I think video games, interestingly enough, are just like the uh, canaries in the coal mines of a lot of like shit that's going to start happening um, because it makes sense. Like, uh, like I, I drew an analogy in my essay to like a band, like in the future, who knows how soon that future is. Like if, it, if you're starting up a band, right. Or like, you know, if I, I play guitar, I'm not good enough to play in a band, but if I started, um, I might give away tokens for my band that I'd sell to friends and family. Um, and like, as a way to support my work, if they like my art. Okay. And this is a really cool tie into just like web three and why it's like pro independent creator, um, versus what we have now is if they like my work, and they, they, they can support it through tokens and they can keep me afloat and maybe my music gets better and maybe um, more fans come and I can sell more tokens and I can stay on tour longer. And then all of a sudden, these people that bought up hundreds of tokens when I was on a, at an early phase playing bars, um, if I'm playing stadiums now, like 
they have a very real stake in my project. Okay. And that's like a, that's like a example for like so many other ideas and businesses and companies and art projects and creative projects. Um, it's like a way to, I don't even know if privatizing is the right word, but it's a, it's a way to just like organically grow community around exciting projects that you believe in. Um, and, you know, like, I think you don't, you, you don't have to think of it like a stock that gains value, but in a way you can, because like, if my band goes on and starts selling out stadiums, well, then there'll be some really cool benefits for the people that were around when I was just like kicking around at bar shows. For sure. Well, let me ask you like a hypothetical that will force you kind of to put a price on all of this. Um, yeah. So like you and I have both done contracting and like, as far as I know, I, you've only accepted cash. Like I've only accepted cash. Uh, we both like to mess around with the internet, whether that's writing, podcasting or doing whatever. I mean, what would it take for you to accept an NF NFT instead of cash payment for doing something? That's a great question. I, I, uh, it depends on, I'm going to pull up my Evernote here because I took some notes on like, I, I listened to a good episode. There's a great podcast called Not Investment Advice on Spotify. Um, it's just these these three That's guys, really, <laughs> really smart guys on Twitter. And they just like shoot the shit on like what the hell is happening in this space. Um, but NFT buying advice is, and this is for your listeners too. If you're looking to buy a first NFT, this is the insider information of what you should look at. You should, more than anything, you should be attracted to um, its aesthetic appeal. It should be artwork that like you're drawn to for whatever reason, okay? Um, you know, Ben, like you like, I know you're like a, you're probably a Tom Brady guy, right? Or, uh, <laughs> big game, like, big game coming up this weekend, yeah. man. I'm excited. Big game, yeah. Like he <laughs> might, so that's like, okay, Tom Brady's doing NFT. My dad was like, oh, Jer the Grateful Dead are putting out NFTs. I need to buy one. And it's like, okay, well, that's actually kind of a cool place to start. Like find something you're interested in, find something that, um, you're like have an ineffable uh, desire for like, oh, wow. Like, you know, that's kind of, I'd like to own that digitally. I mean, even if that was like a poster I'd want in my room, that might be cool to have. Okay. Then you want to look at the reputation of the creator. So like who, who's doing the project? Like what's their reputation in the crypto space? Okay. Um, like, is there a community around their work? Because a lot of these, a lot of these NFT releases, they have like serious communities built up that are all about like the nuances and the iterations and like a lot of these a lot of these artworks. Like there's this really cool project as like just a, a footnote to what I'm about to say called um, Art Blocks, and Art Blocks is um, generative art. So there's a style, and then it's pumped through a algorithm processor. I don't even know. If that's the right terminology and it like spits out it's like computer generated art and it ends up looking like really cool and abstract and it's original artwork that was like done by man and technology and that inner the intertwined nature of that is what makes it like super original and creative and valuable so it's like kind of this meta idea of like whoa like now the computer is starting to make some art like that's kind of trippy. What's going on with that? Um, so reputation of creators, owners, you can look on OpenSea. You can see how many people have owned the artwork. If you do bid on something that's not a mint, um, you obviously want to see that this price has increased so that like people have flipped it. 
um, and there's been more distribution of owners. This means the network effect is growing. And you also want to look at the floor plate price. You want to make sure the floor price is increasing. That's that's the minimum um, you can buy it for. Um, and then you want to look at volume traded and make sure that that's also increasing. So there's like there's ways just like yeah, yeah. just like a stock that you can look at look an NFT and um, and value it. Okay, let's keep going with this analogy because I think all those criteria make sense. I will definitely mm-hmm. use that if if I start uh, <laughs> looking NFTs. at NFTs and buying them. Yeah. Well, let's say I checked off all your boxes. I give you yeah. NFTs in place of cash for you being on this podcast. Thanks again for doing this for free. Okay. Yeah, uh, I haven't, I haven't answered answer your question. So, so keep going. Well, I'm not going to ask another question, but you can get back to the first one too if you want. Well, um, I would just say I, yeah. I would not accept it unless I knew the project and was really convicted on it, I would accept payment in Ethereum or Bitcoin before I accepted payment in NFT. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's say hypothetically though, you do, you didn't know the creator and had like vetted the NFT and we're good with it. Um, I I was going to ask about selling because I think was, you know, you can almost draw a parallel with stocks where I have my own check boxes for buying. I talk about them on this podcast all the time. What I usually tell my listeners, and this is what I do for myself, you know, never do anything on this podcast. I don't do personally. Um, yeah, I don't. I try never to sell. I am very much team never sell. Yeah. If I need yeah, it yeah. for liquidity, like I'm buying a house or something, I'll sell. The only other condition I'll sell on is I, the thesis has changed and the company is like grossly misvalued based on the cash flows it produces, which is a hard determination to make. Like, you know, you and I both have been proud Apple shareholders for quite some time. In various yeah. points in its history, Apple has looked grossly overvalued, including this year when it was 40 turn- times earnings, but actually still got up from then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason it keeps going up is because the earnings keep outperforming what people think the expectations are. I don't know that like in NFTs, there's a similar dynamic in terms of like thinking about when to sell. Um, in fact, it almost seems like people want it to trade more. So like flipping them, and I may be totally wrong about this. So I welcome you correcting me, but like, NFT flipping seems to be gaining a lot of popularity, which which kind of worries me about the asset class. Like, I'd be a lot more comfortable with like buy it, never sell, you know, or like only well, sell yeah. if you need uh, it for liquidity. I think, of course, there's going to be like uh, whales coming in and making. There's a lot of people making a lot of money in this right now. Um, but I think one thing cool I've learned is like it's just a very um, optimistic, friendly. Uh, just like nice community. I don't know. I think that might be because the majority of people are pseudonymous. So like, it's like these alternative versions of themselves. But one thing that's just awesome is like, there's no talk of politics. Okay. There's no talk of um, cancellation. There's no talk of celebrity gossip. It's all just excitement around these like community art projects. Um, So I think like most people who get involved in this stuff, they do it because they, believe in it and they want to help grow the brand that they're acquiring. I mean, there's some really interesting projects to give you a range of like the type of creativity this is getting, um, this is getting into, like there's one called loot box, right? Where like you could buy an NFT and this NFT was just a black card that said like sword, amulet, uh, torch, bow and arrow. Okay. And if you got that, and basically this 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 company that issued them or this developer that issued them is planning to like build a video game universe around these NFTs. And if you own this, like the, the loot that you own on this card will be eventually like built out in this game. And then you, because you have the verified NFT will own 
what you what's on your randomized card so and like there's another one like i think it's called stoner cats maybe one of the problems is like all this stuff kind of sounds like you know high school video games and i think they gotta like i think brands will get polished out but you know they're saying like like ashton kutcher and i think mila kunis are involved in this and like they're gonna make a animated television series that you only have access to if you own one of these cats it's called stoner cats like i said so what happens if that show does really like that's going to draw couldn't that just get pirated though like i'll play the the devil's advocate nft guy like they can just pirate the show right yeah sure i guess but i guess the the bigger question to think about is like what if netflix picks that show up because it's really good Right. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Like th- yeah. then, then all of a sudden, holy shit! If I pay, if I paid six hundred dollars for a JPEG of a original stoner cat, and now it's on Netflix, well, I could probably. And oh, by the way, my cat has an interesting storyline. Yeah. Well, does, then, does Netflix now have to pay the NFT owners at? Probably. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's yeah. like so so um, and it's decentralized. So it's not like it's a it's a community based uh, you know decision um so i think like to your your question like i think most people that get the the, mo- the uh, most people that get involved with these communities um they're in it for like the long haul because they want to um they want to boost the brand of what they're buying so you, you basically as long as you believe in the brand you, you would not sell the nft it sounds like yeah like I, my first nft it's probably gonna be my next article i've been working um in in, in, a, in a little bit of a capacity with like, this artist i mentioned jack butcher and i just like i just love this guy's art it's like very pro like um it's like his he messages out like stoic philosophy and mindfulness and themes of self-actualization through like very simplified black and white um stencil like depictions you know that are perfectly fit for instagram squares and it's like this signal that you know his saying on his website is signal um signal through the noise or i I think i'm getting that wrong sorry jack if i spoke wrongly about that um Hold on, let me tell you what it is. Signal in a world of noise. I just mm-hmm. love this guy's work. I really do. So, like for me, it's like, well, I want to. You t- you're making a bet on him, yeah. I think he's a kick-ass artist, and I think more yeah. people should see. I think more people should uh should see should see his work. So, like, I will buy an NFT. His NFT is like the first one I own, and I'll uh, I'm an advocate, man. You know, yeah. and I'll uh, write about it, and I'll, I'll I'll support it, and I'll share it because, like, I believe in it. Yeah, I actually think like now that you kind of phrase it that way, that makes sense to me. And it's like if you have you know insight into that artist, yeah, I, I've seen his work too. I mean, I think you you include one of his illustrations in one of your articles. Like it's great, you know, you got a sense of it, want to bet on the person. Yeah, it doesn't feel that much different than stocks, where you're like, I like the C level suite, I like the performance. Like I, I'm, I think they're very capable of the next five years of you know doing X times what they're doing in free cash flow right now. Mm-hmm. I think the probably like where some people are getting hung up is like, how do you actually measure the value of, of a brand? And what's funny is like from an accounting perspective, like companies have to do this, right? They have to appraise the value of the brands. They do markdowns occasionally. Like when you acquire a company, you mark it up based on goodwill, which is intangibles that you can't actually measure. It's a best guess of what it might be worth. But investors actually do this all the time. Like, you know, Warren Buffett made a famous bet on Coca-Cola. And like a lot of that bet was based on the supposed value of the brand. So I mean, it, it kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like NFTs are kind of getting at this, right? Like you're, the price you'll pay is what you believe the brand is worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally aspirational, you know? So, yeah, so you're telling um, me we got to find and, some brands we like and start investing. 
Well, yeah, we yeah. do. And, and also though, I think what's going to be interesting is like, it's probably still a ways off, but I think brands will link themselves up with this stuff, right? You know, like they'll, so all of a sudden, okay, if you're like, I don't know if you're an, if you're an LL Bean guy, like our Patagonia guy, well, oh, wow. They're doing a cool partnership with, uh, you know, Bored Apes or CryptoPunks or this new one that's going to come up in six months that I got in on before anyone else knew about it. And like, that's really cool. And with my NFT, I get 50% off of their new parka. Like it, it just, it's so, it's so like the possibilities here for branding and marketing are like so drastic the, it's almost hard to try to like think about um, where this is going to go. Right. I mean, I, mean, I most... think the difference, I think the difference with a stock though, Ben is like, yeah. like, you know, we talk about our Apple stock and, you know, we, we both kicked ourselves for selling our Tesla stock before. Let's <laughs> not even talk about ago. that. Yeah. And we believed in that. We should, we shouldn't have, we that... should have done that. But, I think, yeah, the, br- uh, the brand, we didn't like the brand at that point. We didn't like yeah, Elon's behavior. Should, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, oh, that was crazy. But like this NFT is, give you there's a great packy uh talks about this and he links to an even larger article that gets at this that nfts are and i talk about in my essay too like they represent there's a social capital component so like you can flaunt it like if it's like you're walking around with a video game being like oh i own 30 shares of apple stock like oh wow that guy owns 30 shares of apple stock then there's an entertainment aspect where like these are like creative characters so like they can be used in different interesting ways and then there's utility where like I, another thing I mentioned um, in my essay was that like Bored Apes, you get access to like this virtual swamp where like you get with your um, wallet, if you verify your ape, you get entered in. And like, this is just like this cool digital community. Um, and that's gonna start happening in the real world. There's gonna be clubs and restaurants and events that you can only get into if you have proof that you own this NFT. Yeah. I mean, there are already, that's, the difference I see is like, there already are clubs, you know, you pay a, some of these are like insane annual membership fees, but it's not really tradable, it, you know? Right. Um, and it's always yeah. like, like, so, so like, yes, like you're, you're right. Like this has always been embedded in our society, like being at a country club. Okay. Like being a New York athletic club, um, the, the Soho house, like this is just human nature, man. Like, and I think that's what people like, they're not getting that yet that like this is human nature it's the next phase of mimetic desire and status signaling and you don't think when steph curry shows off his bored ape on twitter do 15 million followers that people aren't like what is up with that right i don't even know what what that is but i want it now because he's steph curry like the girl from call her daddy the other one uh sophia i'm not you know she's like all she's doing this board eight project now like she's she's all about it so it's just it's just uh there's just a lot of ways this is gonna go and get weird and and a lot of projects will fail i think most projects will fail but the ones that make it will be the prototypes and the proof of work for everything that follows for sure i I mean i i definitely am interested and i i think like i could see myself allocating some capital to it like the question is how much and you know when i had brandon quittam on uh this podcast which you know, yeah thanks you and your brother for for uh getting yeah, hooked up there yeah we had we had a good talk about like what's the right amount to put into to crypto and i think a lot of that conversation came down to like 
you know, with, with stocks, right, you have some legal protections, you know, that you have the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, companies have mm-hmm. to provide accounting that's correct and not falsified, not fabricated, uh, their yeah. shareholder rights, like, you know, th- there's all these protections to make sure you don't lose your shirt. Um, and bondholders is even more like bondholders have a claim on the assets. So if the company goes bankrupt, they can go directly after the buildings and things like that. I think yeah. with with crypto and with NFTs, um, you know, you're getting closer to speaking my language, like you get a set of services, um, but that a lot of that's implied. It's not like legally enforceable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. another thing too is like, it's worrisome to me that like, not that Jack Butcher would do this, but like that guy could just go off the map. You know, he could just decide to be like, I'm shutting everything down. Um, I mean, those risks would keep me at night if I owned an NFT, but I guess like it, you know, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you kind of get yourself to sleep at night if you own an NFT and like those risks are on the table? Is it any more of a risk than owning a stock and being worried that Elon Musk smoked a joint on Joe Rogan? So we're going to sell our Tesla stock. The, the only difference, I mean, I would draw a couple of differences. Like one is like Tesla's an enormous company that presumably has staying power beyond Elon Musk. Although mm-hmm. that is a good example of like the CEO does represent a lot of value. Yeah. Um, the the fact that like Bored Apes is tied to, you know, one or several people um, to me is like, there's a lot more exposure there. Um, additionally, I would yeah, say yeah, that's like- Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Owning someone Apple, could, right? someone, could, someone could do something really stupid. It, it would take a whole lot to yeah. drive Apple sales materially down um, versus yeah, yeah. like, you know, some of the, the NFTs out there, you know, it's like the the creator, the face of the brand is in, you know, is in a bad PR scandal. Like what happens after that? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure, you know, that, it's a great question. I totally get what you're getting at. Um, I'm sure there'll be like, and this maybe this is like the dark side of it, but I'm sure there will be like pre prerequisites in the future do like letting people in maybe the members maybe the community will have to vote you know I, I don't know um it is a good question but i think it i think it just puts more power like it's like with more power comes more responsibility right so yeah like no absolutely it's 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 it, it, that's a it, it, that's a that's a great point though i'm like we'll see man it's still like an early um yeah yeah i mean it's social you bring up, like, in a lot of ways communities policing themselves yeah. right because like when i hear that i hear like self-governance yeah. um you know like a lot of kind of this discussion about around crypto and like some of the pushback is the lack of regulation and i think it's two sides of a coin right like there's a, yeah. a ton of benefits to decentralization and not having third parties right. third party intermediaries but also it's like when bad behavior happens how do you stop it yeah. um what do you yeah, where do you think that goes eventually like what are the next hundred years like in terms of enforcing better behavior in the crypto community yeah um i think there's two sides i think you know human nature is human nature and there's always going to be good and bad actors i think just in general i don't think you're going to get to some like utopian world and at the same side of that you're not going to get to some you know godforsaken place where like everyone is acting in their own best interest um i think if you believe human nature is ultimately good um that will come through like i think the same people that say oh crypto can be used for uh money money laundering well it can also be used for immigrant families to send money home to their um their family members without getting like you know without getting absolutely shelled by Western Union on the way out, right? Like there's, 
there's two sides to it. Um, one that's interesting because I kind of came into the community as like a as on Bitcoin. It's only really in the last few months that I've like gotten more into Ethereum and and really like my eyes have been opened on like the possibilities for that. Like there's a maximalist. So there's Bitcoin maximalists and there's Ethereum maximalists. And that's kind of a weird dynamic because it's almost like this new form of like worship in a weird way. Like, like Bitcoin is like Satoshi Nakamoto is like, you know, savior. And, uh, and it, it like the Bitcoin community to me seems more like skews more libertarian and more like we don't want, you know, we are like on our own. We don't want any any government interaction whatsoever. Whereas like the Ethereum community is more interested in like smart contracts and what can be developed off of the blockchain um, for like functional commerce and society and creativity. Where Bitcoin is starting to feel more like the people who are. Uh, burying gold in their backyard prepping for uh Ooh, sounds like you've had a change it sounds like you're more partial well, to the ethereum community at this point i just think well i i mean i own bitcoin and like i i i think it's been like a very cool investment and i think it's i don't think it's going anywhere but i just think ethereum is more like uh let's like communicate and connect and and create with other people um versus bitcoin is kind of like this is my store of value and uh keep your dirty hands off it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a really good take. Um, it's, it's interesting to hear someone like present a, a pretty nuanced perspective on the whole community. Cause I've had the same experience you have where like people are really passionate about like Bitcoin or Ethereum or uh, currency X or, you know, NF, NFT yeah. Y. So I think, you know, you have to have a more holistic view. Um, yeah. I know I got to let you go soon. I, I have a couple closing questions. No, yeah. Kind of, let's let's yeah. try to think what, what else we need to, uh, yeah, go ahead, man. Shoot, so I want to hear uh, for someone listening to this podcast who's made it all the way through, they want to learn more. In your opinion, what's the single best resource could be podcast, book, uh, video? Like what should they start with if they want to really get smart on this space? Um, that's a great question. Well, I'll shamelessly plug my article. Uh, NFTs are worth understanding a layman's guide because that was like, I wrote that for people who I wish that article had been, I wrote an article that I wish had been written that I had read two months before I started learning about it. Um, but I will, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you, Ben, to put in the um, show notes. Uh, Jack Butcher, who is the artist I've, I've mentioned a few times here. He, he has a really great thread, a Twitter thread. First of all, Twitter's the spot for this. Like Twitter is, I, my mind has been completely blown on the, just the sheer capability and power of Twitter as an open network. Um, not only because my article has been, you know, shared like to people that would have never read it otherwise, but I'm getting um, work opportunities from Twitter. And I think Twitter is quickly becoming like, this new form of like LinkedIn in a lot of ways, but um, go to Jack Butcher, follow Jack Butcher on Twitter. He has a thread uh, that I think he pinned um, called, hold on, I'll tell you right now. Um, I get lots of DMs about where to start reading up on Web3 crypto NFTs. The links and accounts I recommend following are below. Um, I'll send that to you, Ben, so you can put in your show notes. That's one. And then I would recommend uh, going on Packy McCormick's blog. It's called Not Boring. 
um, .co. It's his newsletter. And he just writes in like a very accessible, like almost like wait, but why way you explain everything. And it all sounds like it's all like the type of conversation you'd have um, over a few beers about this stuff. It's like oh, yeah. not pretentious writing at all. And I think like he just breaks it down in a really clean, simplified way. So follow Jack Butcher on Twitter and Packy M and read not boring. And they're kind of like, they'll be your window to the, uh, the rabbit hole. Absolutely. No, I love those recommendations. I will check those out, throw them in the show notes. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to ask you before we close here is, mm-hmm. you know, clearly you've been getting into this and are thinking about it from, you know, a, a five or 10 years down the road perspective. It, it's, it seems like so, like a place you want to be involved long-term. Uh, I guess like you personally, you know, where do you see yourself in the crypto community in, in five or 10 years? Or like, I know it's impossible to predict the future, but what's kind of your long-term plan for how you want to play this space? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. One I should probably think about. Uh, I, I, I right now I'm still like able to do, I'm just trying to like write and read and learn as much as I can about it. Um, because I think it is so new and it's still so early that, um, like I think just having the knowledge and knowing speaking the language is I'm just kind of in a lot of ways um, doubling down that like that value like um, will pay dividends in the future just like understanding it. Um, but for now I'm going to continue writing on my blog, uh, my 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 Substack where I, I try to kind of break these things down and talk about like some little more bigger heady ideas that um, could come of this and you know, maybe we'll come of it in the next few years. And then I think there's an advert, uh, an op- opportunity to like, I think a lot of, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of brands are going to need to know what the hell to do in this space. And um, they're going to sure. have to enter strategically. Um, so I think there could be an opportunity to go do, do, do work on the advertising brand side of things again. But um, for now, I'm kind of enjoying not doing creative work for a brand. I think uh, doing it more purely for the idea and the, um, trend is like just very exciting work that you, you can feel it, man. Like I, you know, and maybe I'm biased because I've, I've, I've been in it, but like, you can feel a shift happening here. And there's a lot of very smart people. There's a lot of very interesting people, a lot of very creative people um, starting to make a dent in this stuff. And it just seems like the natural progression, the more I learn about it. So, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens. No, I, I love that. Uh, I completely agree with you on the, kind of inflection point we're reaching here and what I know we're, we're going into a different area, but I did want to get your thoughts on this quickly while you were talking about it. Um, you have been following Coinbase pretty closely. I've actually, I'm not close to investing in the company, but like I have, well, I think they've put out one or two earnings calls at this point. I follow Brian Armstrong, their CEO on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, he went to talk to Congress uh, and I think the Senate as well, like a couple, it might be a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. I can't remember the timeline. But it, we're starting to get to the point where like there's actual congressional legislation being brought forth on crypto. And, and I'm not sure like pe- people know what view to have on it. And obviously, like coin, the coin bases of the world are trying to guide some of the thinking around it. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on like what's going to happen here? It, it almost feels similar to me to cannabis legalization. As you know, I've, I've recommended the cannabis ETF on this podcast before and that's one of those things too, where it's like public opinion feels like it's in a different place than where the legislation is. And crypto feels similar, right? Like I think especially people kind of in the upcoming, you know, 20s and 30s uh, age bracket are very pro crypto, but the legislation isn't 
anywhere close to where it needs to be in terms yeah. of taxes, custody, like all that stuff. Yeah, I think this is this is a good point to end it on because I, one thing I've noticed is that as clear and simplified as you try to explain this stuff, I think anyone over 45, I'll say 50, okay? Anyone over 50 has a very difficult time wrapping their heads around this. And I think I think that's just a product of like straight up like a generational gap of people who skew slightly older being like, you know what, this is where I'm tapping out of trying to understand the trend. And I think if you really start understanding it, you realize that this is the next progression of human independence and sovereignty. And it is a push toward being like a freer person. And I know that might sound like, oh, that sounds like very aspirational and uh, <laughs> that's a little ridiculous to say, but um we're just getting started with the web, man. Like we, we don't even know, like, like what we just went through this social experiment of all of us getting put on platforms and getting ads thrown at us. And, you know, anyone out there who's listening, who has a child or a cousin who's under the age of, you know, 17, like just, you know, check how much they're looking at their phone and iPad all day long. Okay. That's not okay. I don't think we should be, I don't think we should accept that things have gotten to that point so easily. And in this push away from centralized platforms, we take our data and our privacy back. Um, and we can, and by the way, our time too, like our attention is freed up because we're not competing um, under these like, you know, invisible laws of mimetic desire where consumerism and signaling is just constantly swirling in front of us. I mean, that'll always be there to some extent, but I just think we don't even know what the next, I think COVID was an accelerant of like, oh, why are we, this idea of working 40 hours, nine to five in offices, like we don't need to do that anymore. There's other ways to work. Okay, like I work better at night. I like working from like nine to 11. Um, that's for some reason, that's where I can be most creative. Why, who's to say I can't do that? You know, like, and I think, I think that's, this is what, this is what all of this is starting to pull apart. And I think it's very, I think it's, uncomfortable and it freaks people out but my the way i'd want to end this end this podcast is like don't turn away from it turn at it and walk straight into it and embrace it because like there's some remarkable shit happening um and i think it'll all all prove itself and come to fruition um in the next few years so it's happening one way or another um i think it's and like going back to our point, like I think it's up to us whether we want it, whether you want to be like a good actor or bad actor in it. It boils down to like every other type of technological advancement, but uh, it's coming. So I, I think if I talk to you in uh, another year and a half, we'll have a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah, I can't imagine in our 2022 yeah. podcast like what, <laughs> yeah. what we're going to be talking about. As always, Manny, I, I love talking about uh, crypto, NFTs, like all this stuff. It always gets me out of my comfort zone. I always learn a lot when I talk to you. So it's been a pleasure, man. And let's let's do this again. Same here, soon. Ben. And I, uh, I I truly appreciate your uh, your ability to poke holes in this stuff. It, it helps my thinking too. So um, appreciate your work, and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you in person soon, man. For sure, man. Can't wait. All right, bye.